0: Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, Marketing Consultant for Architects, and if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation this episode was sponsored by archipro archipro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs for architects and designers, Arkipro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work, and then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word of mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architectural designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about ArchiPro, visit www.archiPro.com.au www.archiPro.com.au Joining me on the podcast today is Chris Barnes from Field Office Architecture, a seven-person practice based in Melbourne. In this episode, Chris and I spoke about a new approach the studio is taking to 3D visualization that allows them to showcase their unbuilt design ideas, as well as capitalize on the projects they have coming up in the pipeline. We looked at the networking habit and champions list strategy Chris has built over the years that's led to most of the studio's project opportunities. We spoke about why investing in professional branding five years into the studio's journey has helped them to attract both design-savvy clients as well as quality candidates. And finally, we discussed how a studio should find the right balance between brand and lead generation in their approach to their website and digital marketing, and how this balance might shift over time as your goals and needs change. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris Barnes from Field Office Architecture. Chris, thank you so much for going on the podcast. No
1: worries. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. So, we always start with a bit of a background on the studio and um, field office architecture. Just maybe a little bit of history. Where'd you guys come from? How old's the studio? How many of there are you today? Just all the regular stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um, we kicked off uh, probably about the start of 2014. It was... Myself and then a friend joined me, who I used to work with, a guy called Nick, and we sort of we had a big job that we uh, had managed to get. We both worked at BVN Architecture, and we sort of had this great job, which was um, ended up being Mount Macedon House, and we were able to sort of form the practice around it. I guess, and I guess we had all these sort of big ideas about the state of architecture in Australia at that time, and what we were going to do differently, and uh, about a year later, he met a uh, you know, beautiful Italian girl and decided he was going to go travel the world with her and left her with just me. And then for the next couple of years, it was just me and as a sole practitioner, really, and we mainly did or I mainly did residential projects. We were really fortunate that when we first launched we picked up that house and then we were able to use that to leverage that to, to get another big project, which ended up being Clifton Hill Terraces, which was an inner city project, uh, two houses side by side, amazing project, amazing client, two, two amazing projects. And that basically kept us going or kept me going for the next three years. And I eventually... Took the practice to Bali, went to Bali for three months and with my wife, or then girlfriend, now wife, and you know, operated it there with someone on the ground here. And I thought, okay, this is a good lifestyle. I could keep doing this for a while. Um <laughs> thought I'll do this every year. Haven't done it since, but um, that's what having kids and you know, but Basically, from there, we're, the practice has really evolved and we, uh, we're now up to seven people. Uh, we're a mix of residential projects and I'd say um, hospitality and public work and we've got a nice sort of portfolio at the moment and it's building and, you know, pretty pretty happy with where we're at at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we first got in touch like a few years ago, I remember like I think you had
0: just maybe just come back from Bali or Bali was in your very recent history. And I think it gave you kind of an interesting perspective on practice, this being remote and the possibility of doing architecture completely remotely, which I think is kind of interesting. Mm. I remember at the time you were kind of, talking to me about some sort of some interesting things you were doing in terms of um, writing or blogging or something along those lines. But I'm just kind of wondering, like in the earlier days of the studio, was there anything you were doing in terms of like developing the brand that was maybe a bit different to how a studio would normally kind of go about it? Were you doing anything that was slightly out of the ordinary just by by, by sort of necessity because you weren't really where you were, like you weren't physically located right in the middle of the market,
1: you know? Yeah, I mean, it was only three months. But I, one thing I will say is that, you know, when we were talking to you, and it's something that I've always tried to do is a little bit of writing. And we, one of the first things that so we did as a practice, we set up, I think it was a MailChimp or Campaign Monitor or something like that. And we'd have a pretty regular uh, newsletter that went out probably every couple of months. And it was something that I really enjoyed. I'd been doing you know, a little bit of writing on and off throughout the years. And it was really nice to sort of, I guess, you know, tell a little bit of story uh, story about what we were doing and the projects that we were working on and how the practice was evolving. And I think that what that allowed us to do is it really allowed us to sort of ping into people's inboxes. And I guess From the point of view of, you know, you're always trying to, I guess, bang that drum and remind people, particularly people that are in your network that, you know, you're still doing it and, hey, listen to what we've been up to and it's still something we try and do today.
0: Yeah, but it was probably more crucial back then as well because, um, you know, you were just getting off, to you're starting to build the practice. You're in those earlier days. That building that audience at those early stages is really it's really hard, and yeah. it takes time and it's slow. And you hadn't had a lot of exposure yet. You hadn't necessarily had a whole bunch of media, or not not the media you've had now. So it was really crucial. But I think there's an interesting lesson there because not a lot of studios would think in the early days that they should you know, get their MailChimp going or whatever and start reaching out because mm. they might they might only have 50 people on their list, right? Yeah. And it can seem a little bit like, oh, well, what's the point? <laughs> but yeah. but I think that's a good example. I'm sure there was only, I'm sure there weren't hundreds and hundreds of people on your email list at that
1: point, was Well, it? I mean, I should say that this is probably highly illegal, but um, <laughs> oh, I remember <laughs> we downloaded, downloaded some Chrome extension or oh, something yeah, yeah. that like scanned every like inbox that we had and we put together, I think like... Seven hundred email addresses, <laughs> <laughs> every person that we'd ever met in our entire lives, yeah, and um yeah, they became the basis of that email list, and i think I think like maybe. 400 of them stuck around. So, yeah. you know, it probably did lead to some work in some degree, Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's considered spamming these days. Yeah, yeah. Not it's like, like pretty it bad in
0: certain jurisdictions, but it depends where yeah. you are.
1: <laughs> it depends where you are. I do um, apologize if anyone...
0: Yeah, if, anyone, if anyone's listening from Europe, like just close <laughs> your ears. You didn't hear that. But... um, Exactly. I think that's a great thing to do when a studio is kind of building up their, you know, building up their profile and doing their thing. Like that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it was mostly grown by, as you said, you adding people to it that's really really smart uh a bit sketchy but very smart (laughs) it's interesting because you guys have grown to like seven people now you mentioned and that's that's been a pretty fast rate of growth really i mean the studio is really um probably doesn't feel very fast from your perspective but when you mentioned to me the other day that we're at sort of seven people now i was a bit blown away by that it's like quite a fast (laughs) you know that feels like the last couple of years like you've really grown right in the last year or so
1: uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I think it's been quite steady and gradual and I think that um, we probably could have grown faster if we'd wanted to, but I mean, I've never set out for it to be uh, a big practice. I always imagine that, you know, six to eight was the sweet spot, um, which is kind of where we're at at the moment, but we have had the opportunity over the years, particularly pre-COVID to to win work that would have really, you know, implored us to, you know, grow out to maybe eight, nine, ten people, but I always felt that was too quick. I mean, as I was sort of saying, I mean, I came back from Bali, twenty seventeen. You know, that was that was when it was just me, really, and then it's grown sort of steadily since then. We, um, but I guess in the attempt to to not grow too quickly, we've either turned down work or we've actually brought in a lot of outside help. So we've had a lot of documentation. Um, completed by a freelancer that we you know, have a really great ongoing relationship with. Um, we've teamed up with other small practices and passed on some of our work uh, or collaborated with them uh, when the situation has sort of felt like a good fit. And yeah, we just sort of slowly added over the years and uh, possibly might grow a little bit more, but I I never wanted it to be more than, as I said, sort of seven, eight people. And I feel like we're in a really good zone at the moment. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: You know, you also mentioned to me the other day that hospitality has become sort of a bigger part of the mix of projects that you guys have worked on over time or recently especially. When did that start to happen that you kind of initially started out residential and that was really the focus, sort of private homes, and then hospitality started to weave in and now that's kind of what sort of portion of the studio's work would you say that is at the moment
1: i mean fundamentally it's 50 percent. i mean if you just did it in terms of fees however you know two to three projects at any one time might be the hospitality work whilst you have 12 to 15 that are resi i mean that all started off as a collaboration with um, mitchell and Eads, who are an interior design practice and we actually shared a studio in the early days, with Samantha, one of the principals there, and we just had a really great relationship we, you know, we sat next to each other and we were always talking to each other about the work that we were doing and it eventually evolved into hey look um, this mooney Valley project they were running a design competition i don't know it just seemed like I had a really good opportunity there was you know no risk to it we we're getting paid for the competition, so it was like let 's see what we can do and we won that competition, uh, became a really great project for the practice. And we just thought, okay, this is kind of cool. Let's do it again. And um, another project came along, which was a winery project. Similarly, um, they went out to, I think, three design teams, and we won that one. And, you know, and then did another one uh, in St Kilda along the beachfront. So I guess as a result, we've sort of it wasn't something that we set out from the beginning, but it's become something that you know, we really love. And, yeah, I mean, that working relationship, particularly when you're small and particularly when it was just me or just myself and Ash, to, to feel part of a bigger practice was quite a great thing for us. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting. It's so different, hospitality. I mean, we were talking about it a couple of episodes ago with Graham from Studio Graham. Mm. It's just such a different marketing like environment to residential, and private residential, right? Because it is about building your profile, and getting, you know, the visibility of your studio out there. But it's just as much about, you know, networking, meeting people, putting yourself in the right place, you know, following up with people, building those relationships. Stuff that is so much less reliant on luck. <laughs> I think there's so mm, much luck. There's yeah. so much luck involved in marketing private resi, it's, does everything work out perfectly with the project? Does the project go ahead? Mm. Does the photography work out? Does the journalist like it? Does the awards jury like it? Does social media pick it up? Like there's so many unknowns. Yeah. Do you kind of find that, like that's been a bit of the experience with that side of the business as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I, you know, I had a, I still have a business coach who I speak with every second week and she's based in the States, but we um, she's been fantastic for me over the journey, and one of the things, first things she said to me, um, this would have been about 2015, was to to write out a list of basically, she called it a champions list, but anyone connected to you in the industry, and have that list as a, I guess a live list that you're constantly adding to or editing, and I guess reach out, you know, to two of those people every week. And it might be that you forward them an email of, you know, a blog post of something that you thought that they might like, or you send them a text and you say, Hey, how are you going? Or you go out for a coffee or anything like that. And it's something that I've basically kept doing for the last, you know, six or seven years consistently. And I would have to say that 95% of the work that we've won has come by that, those means. And not just the hospitality work, um, but I'm finding with that stuff, particularly the the huge infrastructure that goes around those projects in terms of teams and project managers and consultants and um, stakeholders and user groups. Um, So, you know, the list of people in the network is, like, is grown significantly since we started doing a lot more of that work. But even just the residential stuff, I mean, it's just from basically day one, a lot of our work has all come via just those relationships and either directly with those people or friends of friends of those people or cousins or relatives or whatever it is. It's been a really useful exercise and something that has meant that um, at times I've probably neglected a little bit the Instagram account and <laughs> what have you because it's it's been you know, feeding us for quite some time. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: So the champions list, that's a great way of putting it. I talk about that quite often with my clients as well because we'll just, particularly if you're going through a period, like I think the last few months for certain places in the world and certain parts of the industry were a little bit slower and I think people were a bit scared about uh, seeing inquiries mm. dropping off a little bit and, you know, what do we do? What's the What's the right way to sort of make sure we're getting on top of this quickly in terms of doing something? And Mm. the natural instinct is always, you know, well, should we go run some advertising or should we go, you know, like it's always about doing something that's really out there, spending some money on something. But I think a lot of the time what I was looking at was, well, how long has it been since you've reached out to some of those key relationships, uh, whether those are clients Mm. or the builder that recommends heaps of projects to you over the years, the, the, the estate mm. agent that's also put you in touch with a couple of great clients. When was the last time you spoke to those people? And quite often, you know, they go and look at their email history or their phone history and it's been two years since they've got yeah. in touch, right? And so it's kind of um, getting back in the habit of not always going out there looking for those new people we haven't met yet, but also caring about the people that we've already got those relationships with. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason I was really keen to have you on because you mentioned to me that that's been such a powerful exercise for you guys. And so the champions list your business coach is going to be annoyed that we're stealing all their putting all their methods out there into the world <laughs> i won't tell her so what gets you put on the list right what how would how would you define that filter just more clearly just so i can get a real sense of what would be on that list and what wouldn't
1: yeah so when i first did it i literally just wrote down every friend family member friend of a family member went through my phone text messages, emails, and literally anyone even just not connected with the industry, but anyone who I th- thought had some sort of value, whether it might be that you know they work in an industry that has some sort of relationship to construction or building or something like that, perhaps they're well financed, perhaps their their network is really strong so you know they may work in something completely different, but they they're well networked themselves that was an easy way of putting together a list of people that I thought had value mm, to mm. some degree. I hope, I hope none of these friends are sort of listening to yeah, this. Yeah, they're going,
0: oh, oh, wait a minute. So, when Chris reaches out, it's it's just because we're on the <laughs> champions list and we've got some
1: value. How how transactional? But anyway, no, go on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, skipping over that. I mean, one of the things was what you found, find is, you know, the, the, the weeks and years go by is, you know, you... You start being a little bit more specific about that because you start realizing what part of your network is more important, um, which one sort of delivers the most, and you'll find that it's almost like the the eighty twenty rule. Like you know, twenty percent of the contacts deliver eighty percent of the work, and so you know who they are. They're the ones that get the nice gift at the end of the year. And I don't want it to sound too transactional because it's. It, it works both ways. I mean, what you're trying to do is you're trying to add value to the, that same network. And so it's not about, well, I'm going to um, take this person out and buy them lunch because I know that they're worth it to me. I think that if you've got the skills to be able to help them in a way that completely expects nothing in return, you know, it's just one of those things in life. I, I just find the, the more good you put out there in the world, the, the more it comes back to you, you know. Yeah, I, I don't want it to sound like it's, you know, it's a a scientific document you know like a spreadsheet that has a net win or loss i think it's it is for me more a philosophy of how to live your life and that is by making sure that the p- people that you're connected to that you obviously keep in touch with them and that you're bringing value into their lives and you'll find that it comes back to you
0: yeah that that's very true as a, as a general approach but i think that people can struggle to actually build a habit around that, that Mm. they can start out with the best intentions, but it can be difficult to maintain after a, a week or two. It's not just about keeping track of everybody, but you mentioned it's actually about making sure that even if you're busy, even if you're having a bad week, even if you're, you know, got a lot on your plate, you're still spending the time to connect with a couple of people and show them some appreciation. So, I guess in terms of it formalizing that process does sound a little bit weird, but at the same time, it might be really helpful to people to have it done in an organized and slightly easy to follow way so that it's not saying they have to just always be putting men- mental mm. attention into, I think because if you're trying to go, okay, I need to contact a couple of people who should I contact and just sort of going through your, your mental list of who do I know, then I think it mm. can actually be too draining or too much energy in some way. So if kind of making a note of all this stuff makes it easier, then I think that's probably a good thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I know everyone's different and, you know, some people struggle with this stuff a little mm. bit more. I know there's people that I work with and plenty of friends and so forth that would struggle to sort of, yeah, w- would feel maybe even just a little bit awkward sort of uh, in definitely you know the 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 guy that you know maybe they worked with 3 years ago but haven't been in touch with but if you feel like it's something that can add you value then it's something that once you get used to and you get into the swing of it it becomes sort of second nature like every a lot of people are doing this you know and it's not just our industry you know all people are always you know you get to a professional point in your life and it's not an uncommon or weird thing to like get a text or a call out of the blue and go, hey, mate, how are you going? Um, thinking of you guys, we've been doing this project, thought of you, might be interested, you know. And what's the worst that could happen, you know, even if they do think it's weird? at the end of the day, if that person doesn't respond in the way that you want them to, then there's plenty more on that list, hopefully.
0: How much time goes by before you kind of feel like, you know, it's probably a good time to kind of check in on that person or reach out to that person. It's starting to feel like it's been a little bit too
1: long. It really depends on the nature of your Mm. relationship and I guess gut feel as well. But I mean, if I was to take an example of, let's say it's a, a builder that I haven't worked with in a couple of years, three years, and he's on my list. And I know that I sent him a card, you know, last Christmas. I didn't get anything back. Um, where are we now? It's August. I would expect to have gotten in touch with him at some point in the last few months, you know? And yeah, it might just be a little email Hey, how are you going? Um, I see, I saw that uh, project that you posted about on Instagram that looks amazing. Hope you guys yep. are well. And that might be it, you know?
0: If you like what you're hearing so far, please make sure to share this episode with colleagues you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast or Spotify app. Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on the show. I think the surprising thing that came up for me was that, you know, initially when I thought about asking you about that sort of keeping the, nurturing these existing relationships, I thought it was probably just applicable to hospitality because that sort of makes sense. And that was my original kind of like foray into that area, subject area. But I think it's interesting that you also brought up that resi is also an area that benefits from that kind of that networking right that you can even do like like networking the residential Mm. sense like what is that going to a party but but you pointed out you know it is a it's just about maintaining
1: relationships and friendships right when we first started i mean i remember speaking to someone who sort of said to really jump into the networking side of things and that you know every sort of time you leave the house really is an opportunity to put yourself forward. There's always someone that you least expect that, you know, a great project might sort of come from. So that's really been one of the primary focuses, uh, at least from my perspective in terms of how we win work. And it really, you know, if I look at where most of the work has come from, it, it really is through the networking but I remember hearing a very prominent Melbourne architect. Um, someone I knew who worked with them said that, that when they first started, they identified that their ideal client would be of a certain amount of income and would be have a natural inclination towards the arts. So they became a patron of the NGV and went to every single event there, became a member and just you know, wined and dined at all the all the certain events and that's how they won all their work to begin with.
0: Yeah, that's that's something that I've definitely seen as well with a couple of residential studios I've worked with where it's funny you say becoming like a patron of the arts at the NGV. That's, there's definitely a strategy there. I was wondering, um, you know, in terms of the studio, I mean, you guys invested pretty heavily in branding pretty early on in the process, right? Uh, it's a pretty big investment and a pretty big process to go through to get that. Full on, you know, proper agency level branding done, right? So, you, I'd be interested yeah. in maybe just exploring that a little bit because, you know, when you talk about this kind of sophisticated ideal client who's interested in the arts, is interested in design, has an affinity towards art and design. Yeah. At what point did you guys kind of realize, like, yep, you know, this branding thing, we've got to, we've got to get that done at the, at the best possible level.
1: When you put it into terms of timing, we did it. So 2019. So we're about five years in at that point. Yeah. And okay. Gotcha. Had enough of a portfolio of work to feel like it was a good time to, to invest in that to me. And this is something that I've found throughout. And, you know, going back to talking about networking, I've always found that the website for us has been more of a validator, if that makes sense. So rather than a lead capture or anything like that, it's more about you talk to somebody or they, you know, your name gets passed on to through a network, and then they want to see, okay, are these guys what I hear they are, or anything like that? And, or, you know, you have a conversation with someone and you tell them about your practice and they like you. And then it's sort of that final sort of check off to say, okay, these guys. Are the real deal. I think that, and I know we had a lot of conversations when we were doing that branding stuff. I think that if we were to rely purely on the website or even if it was a major point of us capturing work, we might do it a little bit differently. Really at the moment, it's sort of a, for us, a really nice portfolio. But I think, you know, it doesn't really tell a story the same way that, you know, you think about e-commerce or various other products that are out there. On the market where you know you're trying to lead someone in you're trying to tell a story you're trying to take them on a bit of a journey and then you're trying to offer them something or capture their information or something this website isn't doing that and you know i actually see some architects who are doing that now and i see a lot of value with that you know and i know that you you've done a lot of work with architects that sort of encourage that and i certainly don't think that that's the silly side. If that's you know where you're winning your work, we just found that that's not where we're winning most of our work. We're winning most of our work um, through other means. So the website at the moment is purely is purely there to demonstrate this is what we do this is who we are and you know hopefully that ticks that box for them you know
0: yeah definitely I think it's um different strategies for different studios like each studio has its own brand DNA and its own way of doing things and I think being more lead generation driven suits some studios and it definitely doesn't suit others you know it just depends how Mm -hmm. you're positioning yourself in the market right you know you touched on that great thing well that really key insight about whether the website is what gets you the lead and gets you the work or whether that you've already got it and they're just sort of validating that, you know, as you said, what you are, what you said you are, or you are what somebody else said you are, right? So, if you're just trying to make the best possible first impression, your website doesn't really need to do anything but that, right? It doesn't have any secondary goal after that. It's just going, kill a first impression, kill kill a brand, build the brand, make them think extremely highly of us. And that's a good direction. I mean, that's like the more brand, that's like the the higher end brand direction for sure.
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, I I wouldn't rule us rule it out for us further down the track, I would say, you know, as. You know, same before, we have grown a little bit in recent years and, you know, whilst we've been sort of blessed to have won most of that work through networking, et cetera, I do think that, you know, we don't know what's in store ahead. You know, we don't know what's in store in terms of recessions, financial stuff, mm. and I think it is really good to to have a, you know, multi-pronged attack with this yes. sort of thing. So, definitely, um, as I said, I, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out in the future. Totally, totally.
0: I think also studio, you know, a business goes through different stages where its needs change. And I think studios and businesses have a period in the beginning where they really do need to sort of, um, they need to build up their base of business Mm. and they need to get enough business to be able to show what they do. But then they get to a point where they're kind of at or over capacity and their needs Mm. shift. It becomes more about quality client selection, being as uh, specific as possible with who you want to work with. And then also raising kind of the look and feel of the brand so that people perceive you as more prestige and sort of better position the market. And yeah, I think every studio goes through those different stages. I think it's really odd to come out the gate and be like, "Yeah, we're the absolute, you know, number one, top dog, high high end branded studio." When we have no customers and we haven't done anything yet, like that's just a weird yeah. thing. Not, not like so, you, it's natural to go through these stages. But I think, as you're saying, you know, if the nature of the studio changes or the environment changes or there's a new area of work that you guys want to branch out into and where you're not quite as visible or. Developed, or you don't have that network, mm. then hey, you might try something different in that area. You know, really want to try and get as much a- opportunity as you can, right? So it's never going to be a fixed thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: you also only have you know you have limited you know as a small practice, you have a limited amount of time, and you've got a limited amount of resources. So you're always going to push those marbles in the areas that you know will deliver for you, but. Um, it helps with that stuff um, in attracting staff as well. You know, when you're looking for good talent, they go on every website. They go on all the architects' websites. Yeah. They know them all back to front. And so, you know, it's not the first thing you think of, but, you know, I think it is important to, to have a profile, something that represents your profile Um, in a way that, you know, feel that is accurately representing your brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It also gets you on the podcast, I feel. I I think that's like something which is like the least of your priorities (laughs) probably. But something that all the guests have in common of the people that I invite on the podcast is that I really like their branding as well as just, what well, I like mm. their work, I like their imagery. It's like the tick, the tick boxes for me are good photography, have really good branding yeah. or a good like brand identity yeah. that's just solid and done by somebody good and mm. do something else that's interesting or noteworthy. And that makes you like an outstanding marketer in the industry, in my opinion. But that's yeah. probably something about, you know, as you said, potential staff and architects. They look at a lot of websites. I look at a lot of websites, hmm. so it may not necessarily be the same thought process that a client is having. Like, you know, I think
1: I think there yeah. is some truth in it. But you would have to say, wouldn't you, that the the bar has certainly been lifted uh, the last three oh, or yeah. five years in yep. terms of what is kind of industry standard. I mean, I, I see the see other practices, you know, younger practices websites, and I just think, you know, you are two years old. And you have this amazing sort of branded thing, and it might only represent one project, but you know, it demonstrates a level of professionalism um, and identity that you know we certainly didn't have until yeah, 2018, 2019. I know
0: it's crazy. A lot of, yeah, you're right, a lot of studios that are just launching their very first project. I look at their website and it's designed by like some absolutely hectic branding agency in Melbourne, and you're just like coming out the gate with that level of polish from day one and getting Rory Gardner shooting your projects and all this sort of stuff. I'm just like, where's this? (laughs) this?
1: So, It's it's changed so much in the last 5 to 10 years and I think Instagram has a big, you know, part to play in that. I mean, I think that certainly from when, yeah, we first started, it's gone from, yeah, you, you know, if you get a couple of nice photos, and a nice portfolio sort of website, that's all you need, you know. Mm. But now it's almost like an arms race where, yeah, you get Rory <laughs> Gardner and you get the stylist and you need to spend 5K on this and you need yeah. this yeah. and, you know, you have a very specific PR uh, campaign. And, yeah, it's funny. I mean, we, we've kind of avoided a lot of that just through not having, you know, needed to as such. Yeah. but. We are trying to, you know, do a little bit more, particularly with, you know, photography and that sort of thing and sort of see with the website that we have. um, Got great photographers and work that we've put out there that um, has had a good response, but it does drive me a bit mad, like the whole sort of the layering, and I I find it refreshing when – Yeah, practices, trying to do things that are a little bit different. A bit different in what sense, sorry? Oh, I just think that, um, you know, the whole sort of, as I said, the arms race for, you know, amazing interiors and amazing photography and that certain look, I think that at some point it will possibly run its course Mm. and there will be an appetite for more storytelling than just pretty pictures. Whether that comes through uh, more video, which... I think it's fantastic. There's a lot of great practices doing that at the moment. Um, but even just a little bit more raw communication, you know, even if it is using Instagram or, um, other social media, showing, I guess, the something a little bit rougher, but telling you how something came together and how building was put together or design and process and maybe bringing in clients a little bit more and, Yeah. yeah, showing how space is operated. Like how a space reacts to having people in it and yep. having children tear through it and school bags on the floor and, yep. and that sort of thing. I, I agree. We
0: just really don't see that many examples to the point where it's like super compelling a direction to go. I think um, mm. I think the the visual arms race is right there in front of us. Everyone's doing it and it's working. There will be somebody that will break through with more of a storytelling. approached or a more or a more raw communication style there are people that are kind of breaking through in really small ways but there hasn't i don't feel like nothing jumps to mind that is majorly majorly successful that everyone's looking at Mm. and they're inspired by so perhaps there's degrees but there isn't a clear-cut case of that i think where it isn't sort of quite secondary still to extremely expensive images and video and branding i still think those are sort of Kind of key elements, yeah. but again, we are talking about a very elevated part of the industry. I suppose we're not talking about getting buyers a studio, but this is we're doing probably it um, being the differentiated practices at the at the top of the game. Like a lot of studios yeah, would totally. be like, "What is this crap?" <laughs> like we don't we don't need ten thousand dollar like photography and renders and video to get the job done. But but yeah, I think I think at the high level, that's kind
1: of that's kind of where it's at, right? Yeah, yeah I mean. As we were sort of touching on before, you know, a lot of people are just coming out of the gate with, you know, and they're not big practices. It might just be one or two people, you know. And on the flip side of what I was just saying before, I mean, technology has never made things so accessible, you know, to make a really great website and put together some branding and I guess identify yourself and position yourself in the market, particularly in residential. So... Yeah, it's not I wouldn't say it's just the bigger practices, but one of the things that I always think about is particularly in Melbourne, but this is relevant all throughout Australia, we just have such great small practices, you know. And there's so many great architects doing, you know, really interesting stuff and which just makes it really competitive as well, you know. And so I think that you can obviously play that game and I think it's important to do so and we certainly do it um, where, you know, you're putting your best foot forward with photography And but I'm, I just think at some point someone will come through doing something completely different and they'll be able to sort of make their voices a little bit louder through, I guess, um, you know, the sea of imagery that we have at the moment. I'm with you, man. I hope so.
0: I do want to just touch on... <laughs> Speaking of spending money creating beautiful images, let's talk about Green's Beach. Um, <laughs> perfect segue. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, Because that was something that I definitely... So for, for people listening to podcasts, basically, um, if you go on uh, Field Office's Instagram, there's some renders of a project there that have 1,100 likes. Absolutely phenomenal results in terms of Social media engagement. So, just briefly, what's the story uh, behind these renders and this project?
1: Um, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because you know I'm talking about sort of the rough and uh, ready sort of communication, and then you know we've got these really beautiful pictures that we've got on our Instagram, uh, but called out. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I mean it was more it was more about so we've had a couple of projects fall through as a result of COVID and you know a couple of other reasons and uh, this happens to everyone and we just sort of formed up a bit of an online so we, we got chatting with a practice based in London who were doing these really amazing renders and we just thought that there was some synergy between what they were doing and I guess the work that we really like and we just thought, look, this could be a chance to, first of all, get a couple of projects out there that otherwise would just be collecting dust in our Dropbox and... You know, there were two projects, Greens Beach and Surrey Hills House that, you know, were really reflective of the work that, you know, we want to be doing, I guess, long term. So we saw an opportunity there to, to get these guys to do some renders for us. And yeah, I guess it's sort of evolved from there to us sort of thinking, how can we offer this as part of what we do as a practice? You know, because uh, as you know, it takes, you know, anywhere between three, four, sometimes five years for a project to go from the beginning to really the client moving in and then sometimes you might wait another year as well until the landscape's done. And so it can be four or five years between, you know, you doing those initial design sketches and uh, really being able to share it. So we're basically talking to these guys about doing this with all our projects, offering it as, you know, basically just something that we do. We have uh, in-house uh, renders that we do in Lumion which are uh, we do in the concept design phase and then we at the end of DD we offer one to two semi-realistic images that um, all just get sort of swallowed up in our fee I guess. Yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, before we talk about how many thousands of pounds these renders cost, um can we just talk about the results in terms of in terms of obviously like gotten a very strong reaction. I think also I love what you're saying in terms of bringing forward the final imagery around a project from instead of being four years down the track, it's today, right? Like that's extremely convenient Mm. from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. Such a good return on investment for those images that you can market them and put them out there and have people go crazy for them for a few years and then do it all over again when the project's finished. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But you mentioned, I think, did you guys
1: get like a thousand followers or something or a hundred followers? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think we had like eight or 900 new followers in the space of a week or something. Um, as a result of that, I think one of them got picked up onto the main page or something um, yeah. because it just got likes and likes and likes of people that weren't following us, which is nice. I mean, it's you know, it's really great seeing, I guess, the best version of your work. And yes, you know, part of what we really liked about it, this process was it. It was from a visual and mood perspective. It was really capturing something beyond just the architecture. It was, yeah, it was capturing a, a sense of the place and this. The site and the context and just the general feeling that, you know, we wanted to always communicate, not always communicate, but for the project as a piece of architecture to, to represent the people who had it. And so, yeah, it just ticked a lot of boxes in that regard. It's really interesting. So how many images did you produce around
0: the project in particular?
1: Oh, it's just, just, yeah, three, three or four. Three or, three yeah. or four.
0: But it was enough for you yeah, to actually put together basically a portfolio page on the website as well, right? So it, it's a project that lives there alongside your other sort of finished projects as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it's, you know, something. I mean, we we do a lot of regional work and coastal residential projects. Yeah. And, this sort of fits really nicely in amongst those. So yeah. we're just like, yeah, hell yeah, we're going to put it on the
0: website. No, that's really good. I think that makes sense. Um, In terms of what you're talking about, including it in the fees, will that be something that is just baked into how you calculate your fees or is it something that you're going to be talking about with clients and part of a component of the fee is this visualization that we create for you. Is it a spoken thing or is it just a, it's factored into like our cost base in terms of running the studio? Uh, it'll just be factored into Okay, cool. cool, cool. I just want to make um, sure. I was just interested if you were sort of putting it to the client as something that they were purchasing for themselves in a way. But no, it's just sort of something that you're going to build in as part of
1: your marketing budget, right? Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, like creating value and putting it out there. So rather than sort of saying, okay, you can spend an extra $5,000 and get this shit hot render, it's us about sort of... Going, this is what we provide, this is part of the service. And, you know, we also do these renders, but, you know, without sort of making a big song and dance about it. And then the client feeling, okay, this is amazing. Oh my God, I can see, you know, I get a real sense of what this project's going to be for us. And yeah, you know, whether that translates into a really successful project outcome, uh, a really great process, or, you know, them just telling a friend further down the track, you know, they did an amazing job here. You know the process was really great. We really understood what this project was going to be. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. I definitely, I think there's so much
0: value to to doing that sort of thing. In, mm. in in terms of, I mean, I think people would be just curious. I mean, we can't. I'm sure you don't want to say exactly what you spent on on renders for a project like this, but but ballpark. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty it's a pretty serious investment, right? Like I I collect a lot of information from my clients in terms of their marketing budgets and ro- and what they spend, and I found that if I take what do they spend on actual architectural photography and then what do you spend on a package of renders and i average that out across like every studio they're almost identical numbers so it might be average Hmm. of you know three and a half or four thousand dollars architectural photography and then also average of three and a half to four thousand dollars for a package of renders which is not the most that's not as expensive as renders get by any means but that tends yeah. to be about the sort of range that studios are kind of spending in general. Yeah. Was was that kind of like ballpark? Yeah, it's like about the are range? We, are we warmer? Co- okay,
1: <laughs> so we're about we're yeah, about on target somewhere around there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I think I think as an investment, you know, three, four, five crowns. You know, if you've got the resources, photography is a really similar price, you know? Yeah, it's worked out for us at least.
0: Yeah. Common thread that comes up with a lot of the studios that come on the podcast is like you can never really spend too much on creating really high quality content around your work if you've got the capacity to do it, you should do it. You don't usually end up regretting it. Uh, Like, oh, we shouldn't have photographed that. We shouldn't have got that style. I shouldn't have done those renders. Like it's usually saying you look back on and you know what that led to so
1: much more for our studio. Yeah. I would say even pushing that a little bit further. I mean, I've never regretted spending money on any form marketing, but I have regretted not spending enough. So (laughs) yeah. I think that's so common, you know. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, when I first started FOA, like I had no idea. Uh, I was sort of, you know, I came from, I uh, worked at uh, BVN Architecture for a number of years, uh, where I was project architect and associate, and I tended to not really get involved in the marketing side of things. So I had to learn a lot of this stuff from scratch and. Yeah, I mean I was fortunate enough on, you know, to I guess have some of the skill set to and network um to, to win a lot of that work as through the means that we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. But I think through I guess more the, the visual medium has been something that it takes time. And as I said, like I, I've never regretted anything that was spent on marketing and when I say marketing I mean photography yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and building that profile.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a really nice sentiment to finish on, Chris. (laughs) Is there anything (laughs) else? Uh, Is there anything else? Any other things that we missed or or thoughts that are on your mind that you want to get out there on, on this broader topic?
1: The most important lesson that I think I've learned through operating small practice is that when things are going really well is when you really need to push the marketing. And it's not about sort of, okay, we've won the work. Now we can sit back and relax that's when you should be networking, you know, that's when you should be making sure that you're putting things up on your Instagram or sending emails or updating a website. And as I said, I've I've made plenty of mistakes there and and dropped the ball a few times, but it is really important to be constantly feeding whatever it is that's delivering in that work. And particularly when things are going really well, because the way that architecture is and its timeframes, you always find that it works out to help you guys out um, further down the track, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Awesome. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: No worries. Thank you.
0: That was my conversation with Chris Barnes from Field Office Architecture. If you'd like to learn more about Field Office, you can visit fieldoffice.com.au or follow them on Instagram at fieldoffice.arch, A-R-C-H. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.